chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. And I'd ask that you please follow along with me as I read. Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power, or by what name, have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, If we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by the builders, by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there any, there, nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no name, no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Please pray with me. O Lord Christ, I pray that we would see by faith this to be true even today. And that we as by faith know your power that we would become a great light in this world and a witness to your resurrection, even to our community. In the name of Christ, amen. You may be seated. Well, Peter is in the business of preaching. You see a little recording of perhaps a much larger preaching this morning to those elders in the Sanhedrin. Last week we heard a sermon from Peter and the week before, several weeks before, we heard another sermon from Peter. As for last week's sermon from Peter, we noticed that he continued drawing, as he does for each of his sermons, upon the book of the Twelve. That is to say, the Minor Prophets. And last week, Jacob became a figure for how God is working in this world amongst those whom he's calling. That there is a great transition happening. Folks are being moved from being Jacob's to becoming Israel's. And they are doing so collectively as the church. We noted also that like Jacob, in his transition to Israel, we too must wrestle with God in repentance. 
We all have a limit. God gives grace and mercy even to the worst offenders, was one of the points. And the other point was that those with true repentance will not demonstrate repentance in privacy or only personally, but will show their repentance in joining in a churchly existence that is public. Well, given his sermon last week, and the patterns that we notice in the recordings of Luke, we should expect after that second sermon that we heard last week that we would see more folks gathered into God's church. For the Lord's word does not return to him in vain. And that is what we see if you glance down at your scriptures this morning in our passage in chapter 4, verse 4. It reads, Many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. So it's accumulating. But there is a difference between this last week's sermon and what follows and the first sermon. There is a new element that enters in. In the sermons prior, in his first sermon, we'd see folks gathered and then what they were doing. But here, we have a bit of an interruption and our attention is literally arrested as the apostles are arrested. We see a new element in verses, verse 4, 1 through 3, when the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon Peter and John as they were preaching in the temple. And those religious leaders, verse 2 of chapter 4, were greatly disturbed that Peter and John taught and preached to the people the resurrection from the dead. This was their concern. And it will be what brings them into a trial amongst what we would call a group of people. And you saw the list there of all the people that are involved. Collectively, we would just refer to them as the Sanhedrin. It would be the same court that ruled against Jesus. But here is a curious observation, if you pay attention closely to the words of this passage. When we actually get to the trial in verses 5 through 12, the Sanhedrin does not explicitly confront them with the resurrection. Instead, they bring up the healing of the lame man. Isn't that interesting? There's some kind of implication they're drawing, therefore, in their charge. And it lets us know that, yes, maybe the religious leaders were concerned about Peter preaching the resurrection in his first sermon. But for now, they are somehow concerned about the resurrection in a way that is connected with the healing of the lame man. And I just wonder if you know the connection. What's going on within their minds? Why are they connecting preaching the resurrection of the dead with the lame man? Well, you know, the answer is not very far from us. We don't need to travel uh, long distances to find it. You can see that he begins to answer this in verse 7. And he says, And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? And then Peter gives a bold answer in verse 10 
making it very clear why they're asking these kinds of questions about the lame man in reference to the resurrection. Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. Both of the issues are brought together in Peter's answer. Don't you see that? He connects them. The lame man and the resurrection are both within the verses I just read you. And so there is a connection, and that's exactly what the Sanhedrin was seeing. They must have been reasoning something like this. The healing must be done by someone with power. Dead men, by definition, ain't got no power. I imagine, you know, that being from the Eastern Shore like me. And they put it like that for emphasis. By the power of Jesus, Peter says, the man is healed. This means that Jesus is not dead, but is alive. Jesus has therefore been raised, and he, though seated in heaven, he is acting on earth. That must be what's going on here, and it must be a truth that they are seeing proclaimed by the apostles. And I wonder if you see the great implications of such a declaration. Do you see what this means? You know, Peter goes on to talk to us about what this means by uh, quoting Psalm 118 in Acts chapter 4, verse 11. Take a look. He says, This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. He's really saying the same thing that he just said in verse 10. And it's something along these lines. You Sanhedrin, you worked diligently to kill Jesus, to murder him. He brings that up in his sermon. But God has used your evil to accomplish his good plans. In your trap, God has trapped you. In your snare, God has snared you. You did reject the stone, but in his rejection, God has established Jesus, in fact, as the resurrected cornerstone. In other words, they thought that Jesus' death was the end. But as you can see that they're brought up on charges with, is that God instead has decreed that it would just be the beginning of what he would do through Jesus Christ and his power, not only in the heavens, but even upon the earth. And all of that is brought out as the Holy Spirit has these recordings for us from Luke. And brothers and sisters, the lame man is just one example for us to realize as John and Peter are yanked in front of the Sanhedrin, that Jesus Christ is acting in power from heaven today. And therefore, as we speak of the power and live within the power, we are proclaimers of the resurrection from the dead. And they were picking up on that. That is the connection. The healing of the lame man, according to the apostles, shows that Jesus is not dead, but that he wields all power 
and is pouring out his power even now on this earth. That really confronts you with a question, doesn't it? Have you ever heard the distinction between uh, a functional faith and a spoken faith? A spoken faith is if someone said, is Jesus working your life now? And you say, yeah, you know, he's, he's the man. A functional faith is that people can actually see that you believe that in the way that you operate, that you depend on it, that you walk in that. And of course, we're always progressing in that. None of you here are perfect in your functional faith, not into glory. But as we think about those distinctions, we're confronted with the question, are we not? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is working powerfully on earth, even now, even in our midst? Amen. Good. Thank you for answering. <laughs> well, amen. I think that we need to be reminded of these things, which is one of the reasons why the Holy Spirit has continued to maintain these scriptures for us. And so I remind you of Christ's power being poured out on earth, even just in the passages that we've seen over the last months or so. Let me, let me remind you, in other words, of his power poured out on earth. Seven run. By what power does Peter, the one who just denied Christ earlier in Luke's record, by what power does he become a bold preacher? In verse 8 of chapter 4, it is by the power of the Holy Spirit. And who is it that sends the Spirit but Jesus? He is alive. He is resurrected and he's acting with power. The people listening to Peter's bold preaching are given repentance and faith by what power? Chapter 3, verse 16, the faith which comes through him, even the faith of the lame man being representative. Or to put it another way, by what people are what by what power are people added to the church daily? Chapter 2, verse 47, and the Lord added. Or to put it another way, by what power do people become devoted to apostolic teaching, to fellowship, to prayer, to worship, and a life of giving to those in need? Or to put it even in another way, by what power do we still, and any group of people across the globe, by what power do they become the church and have the power to live out their churchly existence. If it is not still by the resurrected and still reigning Lord Jesus Christ. The answer to it all is Jesus. Let it be known, Peter says, to you all, including us today. And to all the people of Israel, but that, by, but that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him all good things are accomplished. It's essentially what Peter would say in verse 10 of chapter 4. Surely Christ, 
though he be in heaven, continues to work on earth even now, and he does so even in your midst, even in this church. And I wonder, do you hear reports around you of Jesus Christ working? Do you hear him working in the same ways that we see him working in Peter's sermons and after Peter's sermon? Do you see, little by little, devotion to the scripture? Little by little, fellowship, equality, increasing. Little by little, those who were not devoted to prayer becoming little by little people of prayer. Those who didn't really understand or see the need for worship or were just relying upon the energy and motivation of their parents for worship, but now take worship themselves seriously. Do we not see the signs around us of the power of Jesus Christ even in our church? And yet, after I list all of those different points in which I actually do see and I actually do hear reports, if you don't hear reports of that, I would encourage you to come talk to me and I'll give you a report. In small, sometimes unnoticeable ways, Christ is bringing power to seven run. Not in a glamorous way, not so that we look like rock stars and movie stars. He gives us power at the same time as we grow in a deep humility and our hearts grow in being contrite. It is different than the kind of power you will hear about in the world. It is the kind of power that will serve another person and you don't need your name mentioned. It is the kind of power that when you read your scriptures, you enact what it says. It is the kind of power where you actually take time to pray for another person. It is a selfless life. It is a different power than we hear of, for, for example, amongst prosperity preachers. It is not a power where you get a BMW. But nevertheless, it is the power of Jesus Christ. And we see his power in different ways in our church. One of the things that we have been very concerned about around here is having the power of Christ, not only in how we work with each other as a community, but do we have any power from Christ to become a people for the community outside of ourselves? And we've been concerned about that. Besides hearing good reports about Severn Run, I would hear throughout the years here, both as an intern and as a pastor, reports of us being too inward. Sometimes that's true. There's an obvious lack of engagement, at least at a collective level, with the community that is around us. And yet, that is a very mark that we see within the passages here from Peter and his sermons. After his preaching, 
They grow in favor with the community around them. They give to all those in need, both within the church and without. And yet we have, perhaps amongst all the marks, been missing that one the most. And so as we were going through the marks, if you remember, we decided that what we needed to do was start a prayer meeting to beg and plead with Jesus Christ to please act in our midst today that we would be a church that truly gives to another. And not just ourselves, but to the community. We recognized that we needed the power of Christ to show us a way forward. And so we started praying every week. We've been praying out here in this pavilion with mists and fogs rolling through and mosquitoes biting us and beautiful deer in the field and rainstorms coming through. And SRAPC, Severn Run, you know, we haven't had a prayer meeting like that in this church for a long time. And so I'm so thankful that there were familiar faces each time showing up, devoted in prayer. And maybe even while you were at home, you started to pray more for us to be able to reach our community. We didn't know what Christ wanted us to do, but we had this basic faith that he would honor us if we go before him in continual prayer, if we start acting out our existence that he has given to us, and we become steadfastly devoted to prayer, asking him to show us how we can serve our community, that he would do so. And I have good news, and that he has laid out something for us to take a baby step and a start. It is an example of Jesus Christ's power amongst us, which is why I'm really talking about this and how it connects to the passage. Christ and his present power drew us to pray, to be a people devoted to prayer, not for ourselves, but that we might figure out some way to serve others, which is another mark that it is Jesus Christ. And he has answered our prayer by showing us a first step to love our community. And the answer of our first step is that we, at Severn Run, are going to start what is called a pop-up pantry. One of the members that I've been working with here at Severn Run in seeking the will of Christ and his power that we would become a church with all of the marks of a church. One of our members described a pop-up pantry to me as a short-term local food distribution site to an area of need. It's short-term because people are not walking to this church at any moment of any day to walk into a food pantry, though perhaps that would be possible. It is short-term in that we select days to set up food to be able to give to those who are in need. Did you know that within even Anne Arundel County, there are places that are food deserts where people are unable to have the basic things that they would need? It is facts like that. It is awareness of pop-up pantries in other churches and our members here seeing how those things work that lead us to want to do this ourselves by Christ's leading. In fact, we had some members here 
Visit other churches and organizations to discover firsthand how Christ was working with power in their midst to minister to their community. What were the best practices? How could we do this successfully and prudently, as the scriptures tell us? Because we're a people devoted to scripture. The long-term goal, whether it be this pop-up pantry or anything that might happen in the future, is to get to know our communities. That has been our prayer all along. To get to know our communities well enough so that we might move into their space with our sacred space. That the kingdom of Christ would advance in some way. And I cannot think of a better way that Christ would get us started by allowing us to give bread to those that we want to introduce the bread of life to. It's really beautiful how he has laid these things out in his providence. In fact, do you remember how grievous it was a while back when we lost connection with the Millersville Elementary School? There were different reasons why we lost connection. But one of the ways in moving forward with this pop-up pantry is we reached back out to them and they were not skeptical in dealing with us like they were in the past but were warm and welcoming and excited to let us know about their families that actually have needs for food. Now that is a thing of Christ. To have a public state-run school be warm and welcoming to a church, especially us. I mean, we're about ready to start our own militia that we ever run this. But that's what Christ is doing in his power. And therefore, our diaconate and our office administrator, they're already compiling information on stocking our food pantry. We're establishing processes for volunteers to participate in the various tasks of running the pantry. And when I say volunteers, I mean you. And I know where all of you live because I have a directory. Starting next week, we're going to be taking... Uh, donations through the Deacon's Fund, so please prepare to support that, to support the pantry, as well as we'll be publishing a list of food items that you may provide to the pantry instead of bringing us all your moldy lima beans from 1996. Let us tell you the kind of food, and we are going to need volunteers to help with tasks like shopping, inventory, storage of dry goods, distribution of the food on the days when the pop-up pantry is open to the community, and there'll be a lot of details that need to follow. Details that I don't want to get into right now because the main overarching point of this is for you to see in the details and how this is working out, that this is not a harebrained idea invented by some people at Severn Run, but it's the power of Christ coming to fruition in our midst. And I love that it is happening in such a small way called a pop-up pantry. Nothing super glamorous, nothing with pyrotechnics and fireworks, but a simple way for us to show Christ to the world through food. Necessities, because Christ is a necessity. And we are praying that this will in fact lead us into a personal knowledge and a relationship with our neighbors and our neighborhoods in Millersville and Odington and Severn so that we can have not only opportunities to share food, but to share the gospel with them. And 
in our prayer meetings from now on, during the time of prayer, to actually have names of people in our community that we are starting to know, we can actually pray for real people instead of using words like Odington, Severn, or Anne Arundel County. We can pray for Joe or Jill or whoever and whatever their children's names are and how they may be struggling because we will actually know them. Now I'm expecting some of you to be eager and to say, yes, this is truly the power of Christ that we can head down this road at Severn Run. And I'm expecting some of you to say, I'm skeptical. I've seen these kind of things before and they fall apart as quickly as they are put together. Well, we can speak personally about the different ways you're approaching this. But I hope you see how I'm approaching it this morning. I'm approaching it in faith relative to what you have heard within this sermon about the power of Jesus Christ. This is not just rhetoric. This is not me trying to motivate you. I'm trying to frame it in the way that Christ himself has led me to frame this. So whoever you are, whatever your attitude is, let me tell you the attitude of your session and of your pastor. We believe that this is actually an opportunity given to us by Jesus Christ so that Jesus Christ will demonstrate his power in our midst. And he will do so even in our community. We see this, in other words, as yet another step in being like the church that we see in Acts. I hope that you would take it as seriously as when I brought up becoming a church that is devoted to Scripture. I hope that you will take this as seriously and that you would lose your cynicism. That you would take it as seriously as when I said we should be a church devoted to prayer. We're to worship in the Lord's Supper. Really what you see, brothers and sisters, in this passage this morning is that by the power of Christ, the risen Christ, the same one conducting this worship service this morning from heaven by his Spirit, his power, what we saw this morning was his power in the early church and the way that he worked in and through those people became a witness. It became a witness. He became a witness by his spirit in the preaching and the proclamation of Peter. He still continues to that today in the preaching and proclamation of pastors. He did so also not only in word but in deed of those people and how they lived in the midst of that culture. And they became known as a light and as a word and as a deed that declared a single thing that was at the bottom of everything. And that is that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead and he has power that he's sending to earth that his kingdom would come. And what I'm saying this passage says to you is that I want us to be guilty of the same thing. More importantly, Christ wants you to be guilty. He wants you to be dragged in front of the Sanhedrin and that you would be charged in word and deed in witnessing to the same resurrection because of your churchly existence. 
I want you to look at your bulletin for a second so you can see what you are supposed to look like as a collective group of people. And we have officially spoken about every single one. May SRAPC be a church devoted to the pursuit of Scripture. May we be devoted to prayer. May we be devoted to fellowship that goes beyond the potluck. May we be devoted to worship with the Lord's Supper at the center. And notice the last phrase. All of it is for the sake of being able to reach our community for Christ. And brothers and sisters, we're taking a baby step. And we're going to do that through a pop-up pantry. Please pray with me.